2: Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, July 3rd, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered... His book is titled "Why Is This Happening to Me Again," and that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using the great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Drag-On Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives as they actively apply these tools in their lives and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments questions answers and testimonials and if you have any of those to share with us we would be grateful for you doing that by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 once you call that number if you press 1 on your phone it will let you send me a signal. little icon of a hand will go by your phone number, and I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. And we also appreciate whenever anybody does that, because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's easier to do when we know how these things are landing for you. What's working, what isn't working, what would be of more service to you in terms of how we spend our time here today. Um, we have spent some time reviewing different books. The one we're in the middle of working with is the the book Walk in the Physical, A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg. And... Um, It's. Uh, I'm always curious when we do that how these things are landing for people. Are they finding it useful? And um, if you have any comments or questions about that, we'd be happy to hear them. I've also been um, quite a, a busy time these past few days um, catching up on the... Um, reviewing some of the podcasts from the journey's dream on your mind podcast that I have had a flurry of them lately so I haven't listened to all of them and in their post-production state so I will mention again that that is a a valuable resource There are all kinds of people we've interviewed over the past three and a half years who have various fingers in the pot, in the stew, for mental health issues, trying to help people resolve their mental health difficulties with um, options that go way beyond just matching a... um, a list of symptoms to a list of medications so holistic functional integrative uh, approaches to helping the whole person work through a mental health challenge and um, So that's another um, potential source of discussion or topic. I was also uh, somebody flagged me to pay attention to James Finley and James Finlay is um, somebody who got a doctorate in counseling or some such thing, and he's also uh, somebody who studied with Thomas Merton and um, as a spiritual teacher. Um, many would consider Thomas Merton uh, a wonderful teacher and author, etc. Apparently James Finley is a clinical psychologist, so he got his doctorate in psychology. But he spent a number of years under the spiritual direction of Thomas Merton when they were contemporaries for the six years that... uh, James Finley was at this abbey, and um, he's written a book that people say, "Oh, this is a wonderful book," and it's about healing. He also wrote the book *Merton's Palace of Nowhere*, and um, so I listened to a two, little over two hour video with James Finley and while he is I think he's got a lot of the same uh, realizations that we have here that you're not you're not in a place where you have to go chasing after the salvation that you want that your your true self is connected to the sources that gave rise to you and can't ever be separate, et cetera. And um, and yet, uh, the, the the God talk is very heavy, and um, the serious abuse that James went through in his childhood and then in his religious areas. I mean, he, he talks about how. All of it contributed to his having his confidence, deep confidence that the connection to the divine never left him even through the severe physical abuse that he had in his childhood and whatever abuse I didn't even listen long enough to get through the abuse that he went through. in his religious training, et cetera. So I mention that because if you know of anybody like that, or if you've read one of James Finley's books and you think you want to you know, put a vote in for yes, you should interview him. If you have somebody that you find is a a, a wonderful teacher or runs a podcast or has a book that you've read that, really love. I'm anxious to hear those recommendations. I'm always looking for other people to interview for this internet show and for the On Your Mind podcast. So so don't be shy. Let us know what's touched you, what you've been reading, what you've been listening to that might be um a good resource for us, a good vector for us to go explore so five six three nine 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 three five eight one and um I've come across the the book Merton's Palace of Nowhere that's available. Kind of like as a, as a PDF on the internet, um, so I'll explore that as I as I say I'm following up on a lead somebody sent me. So, in the meantime, uh, if nobody puts a hand up, we will go back into uh, some of the essays from the book *A Walk in the Physical* by Christian Sundberg, who. I like to mention he 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 did his he got a lot of influence from Thomas W Campbell and um, Thomas W Campbell wrote books, but also he wrote the three books My Big Toe and My Big Toe refers to my big theory of everything. So the word toe is an acronym for theory of everything. And um, and so the the, the root that what weaves itself through this book by Christian Sunberg is Christian's memory that he had an experience before he came into the physical realm, before he decided to take form in a body, and. That he understands that all of us who come and have a physical experience agree to be hidden to have our, our true nature hidden from us to go through an amnesia of sorts to dig into the experience of being just a body and the reason for that in this theory in this body of work is so that we can have a limited experience that creates pressures and tensions and dynamics, or what they call in this work, constraint sets that make it challenging for us and more and more challenging for us to choose love and to choose love over fear and love over hatred and love over anger and love over shame and love over guilt. Because only in that experience within the confines of that constraint set only is it possible to get stronger just like when we go to the gymnasium and we start lifting weights we start lifting small weights and build up over time fatiguing the muscle and getting the muscle to break down a little bit and then giving it time to heal. In that same way, if we were never to lift any weights, we wouldn't build muscle. We wouldn't get stronger over time. If we just stayed in the non-physical, we wouldn't get better and better at being able to choose love in more and more difficult situations because there's no challenge to choosing love or seeing it as your true nature when you're in in the non-physical state at least that's the theory in this work and I, I know there's all kinds of people that can shoot logical holes in this and this is not about for me it's not about arguing what's the, the absolute truth for me it's when I apply this filter When I look at things through this perspective and I generate a perception around this kind of thoughts, does it lead me to feeling better about my life or not?
1: That's all I care
2: about. And so far, being reminded of these concepts, using these filters in my life experiences has benefited me greatly. So we we've we've read the essay 125 that talks about how beingness transcends religion, and it's not about attacking religion. It's just saying that. I mean, there's there's a book on my on my shelf over here that's titled, "Jesus Was Not a Christian," and you know, there are people who would take great offense at that. But the fact of the matter is, this religion wasn't in existence. Just like Buddha was not a Buddhist. And because the Buddhism, as a series of practices, only developed after the fact. So there's no... Slamming religions here, it's saying that this essence of creation, the essence of beingness, is not constrained by the thought structure and the religions that and the rituals that humans put together. The next essay is one twenty-six. is titled "Love." Is the absolute foundation and I know I've read this before but I'm going to read it again today the essay reads love is always the foundation upon which all is built there is not one process that did not begin in love and that will not end in love the truth is not hard or cold ever always falls back to love if something appears hard or cold that is just an appearance appearances can last a long time appearances can seem very real as we buy into them and we believe our own interpretations about them we only have the power to do so because we are part of the one mind the one sovereign consciousness and we can even choose to deeply experience temporary, limited interpretations for a while, which is what this, this set of teachings says that we've decided to do when we came into the physical realm, when we decided to have a life in the physical, or as the title of this book says, a walk in the physical. So we can create the dream of separation. can create the temporary experience of being stuck, of being overwhelmed, of being frustrated, of being scared, of, of having a difficulty in choosing for love. We can create that experience, and yet the essence of who we are doesn't change. Yes, the essay goes on and says, "Every single thing, always, always occurs. As a result of the unfathomable depths and the unconditional love that's giving rise to it whatever it is reality systems come and go complex patterns in the tapestry that are spun out of love and spun because of love the tapestry may contain horrifying images but no more than the greatness of love that gave rise to them and that expands its own creative depths even through those images. We are free to buy into our interpretations of being less than love. We are so free that we can even do that. But we cannot ever truly escape the truth of the freedom, joy, and love of our own being. Even as we take temporary experiential sojourns seemingly far away from that freedom and joy, we're still within that freedom and joy. Love cannot be overcome. And we are love. So what shall we fear? Nothing. Essay 127 is titled, Your Soul's Job. Job. If you think about it in terms of anthropomorphizing your soul which is the same as to attribute human qualities to God or a horse or a tree so if you anthropomorphize your soul the soul's job is the joy of being there is nothing else required of the soul it only needs to exist and then flourish the beauty and bliss of that existence in a multitude of ways. Your essence is love. And if you want to think in terms of what's your job, what's your responsibility, what's your reason for being here, it's just to extend that love, that creativity, that joy. Yes, it goes on and says, we are bold in how we create. We are so bold that we have embarked upon this great journey of the human condition. We are so free and so powerful and so loved that we have decided to exercise our beingness to new depths. How do we do that? By experiencing almost complete separation from Source and from each other. And now that we're here, most of us have come to take this experience quite seriously. But beneath the seriousness and the pain, the soul has no restrictions, no requirements, and no hardship. The soul is free in love the soul ever burns with the joy and bliss of being. You are soul. So that is true of you, too. You do not need to fret or fear. You only need to be. Your only job is to exist in the radiant joy of what you are and to share that joy richly with all other parts of the one, the one mind, the one experience. Your job then is to exist, to experience joy, and it says here to love, and I'll say to extend love, to extend your true nature joyfully. There are no other true requirements of you. And when your mind says otherwise, Here's an invitation to be brave and bold enough to find the beliefs that you are holding that seem to prove to you that that's true. It's never true. You're never anything other than the energy of creation. You have no other purpose than to extend that and have joy. This essay goes on and says, those beliefs are, in an ultimate sense, untrue. The beliefs that you are less than love. Yes, we must strive to do our part in our local world in a practical way, to care for those who need us and to perform the many daily actions of life. And that can be done through the freedom of being that is already ours. And it does not need to be a struggle against the weight of responsibility any belief in shame or fear or powerlessness is ultimately untrue it is only when we buy into the illusions of those perceptions when we wrap our true selves up in those negative beliefs and self-perceptions it's only then that we because of those beliefs feel something is required of us to return to wholeness. But the essence of this teaching is that we never left our source and our true job has never changed. What's the true job? The joy of being. That's our job. The joy of being is all that we must do and even as we perform our many meaningful roles in the human drama the isness that we are dwells firmly in joy beneath all of the requirements that our local self may have put upon it your beingness your isness does not change even when you buy into the negative beliefs that come from the very restrictive constraint sets in the physical world and you know and when this is happening i'm flashing on all kinds of people i've worked with over the years who have relationships with their family of origin who have been labeled by their family as the black sheep or troublemakers, etc. And they have very intense, limited constraint sets that are a real challenge to push past and see through. And so this next essay is titled, Not One Ounce of Pain is Wasted. The essay reads, reality is efficient. All things occur within divine laws. And these divine laws have been established from inconceivable wisdom and love. That includes experiences of hardship and pain. As difficult as it can be for us to understand, pain is also meaningful and ultimately has an important role that serves lasting love and joy. How can this be? How can terrible pain and misery exist within love? What purpose can it possibly serve? While this is very difficult to speak to from this human perspective, there are three important points we may consider. The first important point is that the experience of contrast creates a distance into which the fullness of joy and being can expand. Everything that's so-called negative serves a point of contrast to help establish the experientially known depths of what is so-called as positive. In other words, love can be better known forever when the spirit has actually known and understood separation from love. This is the, the, the point of the story, The Little Soul and the Sun, which you can look up and see on YouTube and get the book and read. It's the idea that's woven into several different spiritual teachings, that if you exist completely always in the bliss state, it's hard to know your true limit. It's hard to expand from that place because you seem to be connected to everything. So by coming into these conditions within which we do not remember our true nature and these constraint sets, as this book talks about, we create an experience that helps us stretch and grow. The second way that we may, or second point we may consider is that negative experience, as we call it, even when unanticipated, offers a counter-pressure opportunity for the spirit to exercise loving or brave choice-making in that moment, through that situation. As a very crude metaphor, if you can play the video game on a harder difficulty level, you develop mastery very quickly and can then later apply that mastery in other games or other realities in other ways. The counterpressure of challenge enables us to expand our capacity for expressing and actualizing love. The third point to consider is that by experiencing challenge, the whole system ends up discovering novelty. It discovers this novelty within itself and it adds potential. Creative manifestation begets more creative manifestation. To put it another way, even in apparent destruction, more things become possible than may otherwise have been possible. So, all three of these that we may consider ultimately serve lasting love and joy. Indeed, the perfect balance of what is, in that perfect balance of all that is, not one ounce of pain is wasted. For even when we cannot see it, Every element of our experience, including our pain, is a precious and meaningful part of the great love-threaded tapestry of creation. Now, I have people on a regular basis that want to argue with me about this. And some people say when they listen to Michael Singer's work that he says, You don't need this pain to grow, and it's not necessary. It just comes from the judgment and the constriction and the contraction, and that when we let go of that, we expand exponentially. And then there are theories like this that say in order to keep expanding, we have to dive into the physical experience in these various constraint sets. Otherwise, we don't have the ability to experientially expand. To me, it isn't important to figure out which of these things is absolutely true. For me, it's valuable, since I am having this physical experience, to find interpretations and ways to shift my perception and my perspective that allow me to choose for joy and choose for love more and more often James Finley was talking about being three years old his first memory his very first memory was watching his dad walk to him with a bit of a smile on his dad's face and the three-year-old James thought you know, this is great, he's going to pick me up and give me a hug or whatever. And instead, his dad picked him up and threw him across the room in, in a very violent way. And he said, and that was just his first memory, and the violence in the home from his alcoholic, rageful father got worse and worse. And he remembers not too long after that that he was in a room listening to some violence going on between his mother and father, which he said happened on a regular basis, and he started praying. He'd been raised, you know, they they were Catholic, so they were were thoroughly raised to pray for all of this bad stuff to transform them in a certain way. I mean, literally, in, in the Catholics, when they would have any kind of pain or suffering, they would be told to offer their suffering up for the poor souls in purgatory or um, grin and bear it or say your prayers and get quiet about it and just accept it as um, suffering you were doing here on earth so you could get to heaven quicker when you died. Different beliefs like that. So there he was at four or five years old, praying to be able to withstand what he knew was going to happen again the next day and the next day and the next day with his father's rage and the physical violence. And he said, I was answered. He said, my prayer was answered. And he said, after that point, he never felt as alone when these violent situations would happen. Now, does it mean there was actually an entity there with him shielding him? I have no idea but he found a perspective that helped him keep a solid core and remain somewhat mentally emotionally healthy despite a severely physically abusive and therefore by this by the same token it was mentally and emotionally abusive as well so here is this essay that says not one Ounce of pain is wasted in the big picture does that make sense to you I don't know if it makes sense to you use it to help you push through or choose love in abusive situations for myself I also want to say to people please don't choose to stay in an abusive situation just so you can practice extending love in that situation. My recommendation would be choose love by standing up for yourself or somebody else that may be in an abusive situation and putting an end to it in any way that you can. I like to clarify for people because I hear in my head Some of the arguments that have gone on in the support groups and in my private practice sessions where people interpret these words as some kind of a teaching that says you should accept abuse. And I I like quoting Guy Finley when he talks about this and he says, Listen, please don't use any of this as. A teaching that says you should let yourself be abused or you should be a doormat Guy Finley says if you tell somebody clearly what it is that you find acceptable or not acceptable and you've clearly communicated it and they refuse to do what you need to do to be in a relationship with them and and feel that it's healthy then and this is critically stated for accuracy, he said, "If you've told them clearly what you find is acceptable and not acceptable, and they refuse to meet you halfway or whatever, then you are not responsible for what they put themselves through when you leave." And this is beautifully stated because, in in, in our culture, it would say, you know you hurt their feelings when you leave. You devastate them when you leave. And Guy Finley understands that's not the way it works. That's why he worded it this way and said, if they refuse to behave in a way that you find is acceptable, then you're not responsible for what they put themselves through, for the pain, the fear, the sadness, the grief that they generate when you leave. You are not creating their emotions. You are not causing their upset. This is why I was so keen to get Dr. Michael Rice and Jeannie and Guy Finley connected, because that core teaching weaves its way through both of these these sets of teachings. And they have slightly different ways of talking about it so my experiences that can help me understand this deeper and and more richly because I'm, I'm hearing different teachers talk about it from slightly different perspectives, but it's the same core observation. Each of us is creating our own experience of life. Each of us is creating our own emotions. The next essay is, essay 129, it's titled tearing down the wall of belief. And this is, a, this is a message that's dear to my heart. I've given talks about beliefs and how living from belief is nowhere near as productive as living from direct observation, etc. So this essay reads, We commonly turn to beliefs for answers, when the world, quote, does things, close quotes, to us that, quote, cause us, close quotes, to feel personal fears. The reason we turn to beliefs is because beliefs give the illusion of control, and we can use that to make ourselves feel better. Thousands of times over a lifetime we can turn to our beliefs for comfort. We justify, we bury, or avoid certain pains or fears by buying into the stories of our beliefs. If and when we eventually want to truly question our beliefs, we often find that we cannot, because questioning them would mean tearing down the wall we built to protect ourselves from what we didn't want to feel in the first place. Can be difficult and even completely terrifying to finally face the fear that we originally needed the help of our beliefs to avoid fully feeling now if i were writing this i would write it differently i'm going to try and go through this first paragraph and read it as i would write it using the regulatory speech approach that Dr. Michael Rice might recommend. So I've already changed it a few times as I was reading it that first time. But the point of my changing these words is to just be sharper and clearer with the very same message that is at the core of this work. So we commonly turn to beliefs for answers when our the world that we're living in is interpreted by us as doing things to us that cause us to feel personal fears, that's our belief that that's happening, and it's never happened. But we have a belief about it. We have a perception. We weren't trained to think that this and that situations happened, and it's causing me to be afraid. We use beliefs to generate the illusion of control. And then we create a sensation of feeling better. And we do this thousands of times over a lifetime as we turn to our beliefs to create a sense of comfort. We can justify or bury or avoid certain Aspects of the pains and fears we create by hiding behind our belief systems. If and when we eventually want to truly question our beliefs, we find it's very difficult. Because we've built up so much fear around what we would face without the beliefs to block us off from it, That we generate actual terror it can be very challenging for us to turn and face our fears we may have been creating fears and running from them so long that it literally has created a terrifying emotion within us and if we want to turn to face that It feels as though it's bigger than we are and it's terrifying beyond anything we can survive simply because we've trained ourselves to believe that's true by running from it all these years. The next paragraph says, here's two brief examples. If you generate fear of being or feeling worthless, then perhaps you've adopted a belief that your actions or affiliations give you worth. If you're afraid of dying, perhaps you've embraced a belief in a prescribed afterlife. Typically, we each have many examples of such beliefs that we have erected over time. In fact, over time, our core beliefs end up becoming so deeply rooted that they do not appear to us to be beliefs anymore. Rather, they appear to be fundamental characteristics of the reality we are experiencing itself. Yet, in fact, the quote, big picture, close quotes, the truth of actuality, as Michael Rice would call it, exists firmly beyond any personal beliefs as a stark and unforgiving as this current constraint set of physical reality may seem at times, it is truly subordinate to the greater reality of love, peace, and bliss. That is true even if we don't see it at our current level of awareness. Thus, if we're willing to leave the comfort of our beliefs and walk through the opaque experience we we call it hellfire of our fears to experience the truth of what is if we're willing to do that we have the opportunity to reach true relief and true joy it may take incredible personal courage and humility to do so but such are some of the most exciting and rewarding challenges to your spirit So the invitation here is to be brave and be hopeful. And when you feel you're ready, know that you are completely free to tear down those walls wherever you find them. For you exist firmly beyond any concepts of your local identity. And ultimately, you have nothing to fear by challenging your beliefs. That's a big one for a lot of people. And, um, you know, it, it makes really good sense. The longer I avoid something, the bigger I make it seem in my mind. And the more I avoid something and survive, the more that process of what in behavior modification terms they would call negative reinforcement, right? If I'm avoiding what I'm assuming would be a terrible pain, Or punishment and I do something to try and avoid it and it doesn't happen then I think oh I better keep doing it it's like any other superstition it's like the baseball player that decides I'm not gonna wash my hair as long as I have this hitting streak going because you know wearing the same socks without washing them and wearing my hair without washing it and not shaving that's what I did and I got you know Three hits in in the last five games in a row. So now I'm not going to change my socks or shave my face or shampoo my hair because I want the hitting streak to keep going. I've avoided a strikeout. I've avoided, you know, getting picked off at a base. So so I've avoided this thing. And I attribute this set of beliefs about not washing my socks not shampooing my hair not shaving my face as a cause and effect relationship and the more i do that and get the results i hoped for the more i build in the belief that these two things are connected and they're not connected there's no cause and effect relationship between shaving or not shaving shampooing my hair or not shampooing my hair washing my socks or not washing my socks and getting hits in a baseball game. We are free to choose to challenge to question to see through any belief that we're operating under. We are free to live by direct observation. And The more I do that, the more I observe for myself, my life goes better. So I invite other people to do it, too, and start observing for themselves, to question every belief you have. And this is so, beliefs are so pervasive, and our thought structure is so well rehearsed that this is a huge task. And many of us, when we first start to say, hey, that's a good idea, I've I've read this thing, and i read Rilke's talk about learning to live in the question, and I think, yeah, yeah, that's a really good thing to do. We have no idea how many beliefs we have hidden within our thought patterns, within the comfort of our well-rehearsed thought patterns. The next essay is 130, and it is titled, You Are a Creator. And the essay reads, you are a powerful creative being. You're capable of creating realities. You do so individually and you also do so collectively. Source, the source of everything, light, love, God, creation, whatever you want to call it. Source is immeasurably creative and you are a part of that source. Our world is a place where we learn how to manage the contents of our own nature. We experientially learn how to wield our intent. We experientially learn to actualize our deeper creative and loving beingness within a rigorous context. We experientially master the power of contrast. As we do that here we're able to do so better and better in other contexts, even those that are beyond our human comprehension. So no matter the type of experience we entertain, no matter how deep and dark it may seem, we are always beings of love and creative power. Indeed, as immortal spirits, we are bold in the depth to which we are willing to go In the name of creativity and love compared to other reality systems ours is dense and firm but even here our creative nature always operates even here we alter the contents of our personal experience and our collective experience and our apparently shared external material world and we do that by the nature of our own thoughts and the nature of our intentions. So please, be reminded of your power today. Reality is listening to you. The invitation is to pay attention to what you're saying to reality, what you're using your power of creation to create more of you have the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment. And it's the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment that actually creates your experience of life in that moment. It's always on, this experience, this creative force, this thought. Thought. Creation machine that we call thought, it's always on. You don't have an option to turn it off. The only choice you have is what kinds of thoughts are you going to point it towards to create more experiences like whatever you point it towards in your life. So we've got about five minutes left. For a comment, for a question, for an answer, for a testimonial, 563-999-3581. Any thoughts, any comments, any questions, any answers? Again, I will remind us that if you have a favorite author, book, podcast, that you think it would be valuable for me to explore to see if I could get that person to agree to an interview. I would be happy to entertain that suggestion as I have entertained many over the past three and a half years. And if you know anything about James Finley and his book, a couple of books he's written at least, Let me know if you think I should pursue that more. Area code 541, you're in the air.
3: Yes, thank you, Dr. Tim. That was exactly what I needed. I had a a situation come up with a long-term friend where it was a repeat of an uncomfortable interchange between us, and um, uh, we'll talk more about it in the support group last night. Uh, Fortunately, I uh, managed to regain my sanity quickly, (laughs) but uh, I'm still working, uh, no but about it, and I'm still working through the um, experience, questioning my motives, questioning the whole situation, questioning how the relationship has changed and how I can best respond to that change, so I'll look forward to tomorrow night's support group. And exactly these two or three um, essays that you read, the last ones, were spot on for helping me uh, in my search for discernment and uh, um, a loving response for myself and for her both. So thank you.
2: You're welcome. And I'm glad that the essays were spot on for you.
3: They certainly were, and your clarifications are always helpful for me too. I like you, like to have a more defined perception uh within myself um clarification for myself that makes sense to me, and I think that's the same for all of us. How we get trapped in our belief systems, perhaps <laughs> well, they're so
2: pervasive. And uh, as to be invisible to most of us we are we are simply we're trained in the thought pattern that's woven on the language we're we're taught and um, I believe the woman's name is Bora Ditsky, who has um, several videos about how our language the language we're taught literally starts to change our perception And so you've got, you know, Neil Seth and his videos on how we're all hallucinating perception and Ms. Boroditsky's research on how the language that we're taught and that we use internally and externally literally changes our perception. So all of us are operating under the training we've been given, the conditioning we've been given by our family and our culture and our language. And it's, For me, it's wonderful to wake up and discover that I can question that, that I don't have to stay stuck in that belief pattern. And yet it's quite a task to begin it from scratch when, you know, most of us have been decades into the training and living our lives a certain way before we even get introduced to the idea that we can question all of these beliefs and thought patterns. So good luck with that. I will mute you so you can listen into the second hour. I will um, remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice.
1: Thank you, Dr. Kim. I appreciate you uh, playing shows for us Thursday and Friday. We did did our um, 4th of July family celebration early since the 4th middle of the week. So... I appreciate that. We took time off.
2: Well, I'm glad it went well for you, and you're most welcome and deserving, and have a wonderful show.
1: Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio, and today is Monday, July the 3rd, 2023, and our call-in number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to dial in and I'll just say again thank you for um, the time that we took off. Uh, we went down to the family farm to the river and, and uh, played with kids and met a bunch of cousins we hadn't seen in several years because we missed the last couple of years because of Dad. Um, In his situation, we didn't go to the reunion, so it was nice to get back down there. And uh, so I guess we will start reading again from The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And we are over to Chapter 11 now, and the title of this one is Pain, The Price of Freedom. So one of the essential requirements for true spiritual growth and deep personal transformation is coming to peace with pain. No expansion or evolution can take place without change, and periods of change are not always comfortable. You know, Michael often says it's not Dr. Feelgood. Change involves challenging what is familiar to us, kind of like what Dr. Tim was just saying, and daring to question our traditional needs for safety, comfort, and control. This is often perceived as a painful experience. Becoming familiar with this pain is part of your growth. Even though you may not actually like the feelings of inner disturbance, you must be able to sit quietly inside and face them if you want to see where they come from. And again, that's what we talk about, you know, doing the reality management and digging down to the root. Once you can face your disturbances, you will realize that there is a layer of pain seated deep in the core of your heart. This pain is so uncomfortable, so challenging, and so destructive to the individual self, as a lowercase self, that your entire life is spent avoiding it. Your entire personality is built upon ways of being, thinking, acting, and believing that they were developed to avoid this pain. Since avoiding the pain prohibits you from exploring the part of your being that is beyond that layer, Real growth takes place when you finally decide to deal with the pain because the pain is at the core of the heart and it radiates out and affects everything that you do. But this pain is not the physical pain that you receive as messages from your body. Physical pain is only there when something is physiologically wrong. Inner pain is always there underneath hidden by the layers of our thoughts and emotions. We feed it. We feel it most of our hearts. Start over that. We feel it most when our hearts go into turmoil, like when the world does not meet our expectations. We would say it doesn't meet our goals. This is an inner psychological pain. The psyche is built upon avoiding this pain, and as a result, It has fear of pain as its foundation. That is what caused the psyche to be. To understand this, notice that if the feeling of rejection is a major problem for you, you will feel experiences that cause rejection. That fear will become part of your psyche, even though the actual events, I'm going to say triggering, he says causing rejection, are infrequent, You will have to deal with the fear of rejection all the time. That is how we create a pain that is always there. If you are doing something to avoid pain, the pain then is running your life. All of your thoughts and feelings will be affected by your fears. You will come to see that any behavior pattern based upon the avoidance of pain becomes a doorway to the pain itself. If you are afraid of being rejected by someone, and you approach that person with the intention of winning their acceptance. You're skating on thin ice. All they have to do is look at you sideways or say the wrong thing and you will feel the pain of rejection. The bottom line is that since you approach them in the name of rejection, you're going to be dancing on the edge of rejection without the interaction, throughout the interaction. One way or another, the feelings you experience will work their way back to the motive behind your actions. The avoidance of pain is what your actions are linked to and you will feel the link in your heart. The heart is where pain comes from. And this is why you feel so many disturbances as you go through the day. You have this core pain deep in your heart. The personality traits and behavior patterns are all about avoiding this pain. You avoid it by keeping your weight a certain way, wearing certain clothes, talking a certain way, and choosing a certain hairstyle. Everything you do is about the avoidance of this pain. If you want to validate this, just see what happens if someone mentions your weight or criticizes your clothes, you feel pain. Every time you do something in the name of avoiding pain, that something becomes a link that holds the potential for the pain that you're avoiding. If you do not want to deal with the pain at its core, then what you do to avoid it had then what you do to avoid it had better work. If you're hiding yourself in a busy social life, then anything anyone does that challenges your self esteem, such as not inviting you to an event, will cause you to feel the pain. Let's say you call a friend to go see a movie and they say they're busy. Some people feel hurt by that. You will feel pain if the reason you called them was the avoidance of pain. Let's say you go outside and you call your dog, hey, Spot, come here, and he doesn't come. If the reason you called Spot was to feed him, you just put down the bowl and let him eat whenever he wants. But if you called Spot because you had a hard day and Spot didn't come, you would feel pain. Even the dog doesn't like me. Why would there be heartfelt pain in the dog not coming? Why would there be pain in a friend saying that they're going someplace else and they can't go to the movie today? How does that generate pain? It is because deep inside there is pain that you have not processed. Your attempt to avoid this pain has created layer upon layer of sensitivities that are all linked to the hidden pain. Let's take a moment to see how these layers build up. In order to avoid the pain of rejection, you work hard to maintain friendships. Since you've seen that it's possible to get rejected even by friends, you're going to work harder and harder to avoid it. To succeed, you have to be sure that everything you do is acceptable to others. This determines how you dress and how you act. Notice you're no longer focused directly on rejection. Now it's about your clothes, how you walk, or what you drive. You've gone another layer further away from the core pain. If somebody comes up to you and says, wow, I thought you could afford a nicer car than that, you feel a disturbing reaction. How could that cause pain? What's the big deal if somebody says something about your car? You have to ask yourself what it is that reacted in your heart. What is that feeling? Why is it happening? People don't normally ask why. They just try to keep it from happening. You must go deeper than that and look at the dynamics of the layers that have been created. At the core, there is pain. Then in order to avoid the pain, you try to stay busy with friends and hide in their acceptance. That's the first layer out. And then in order to assure your acceptance, you try to present yourself a certain way so that you can win friends and influence people. That's another layer out. Each layer is attached to the original pain. That is why simple, everyday interactions can affect you so much. If the core pain was not the motivation behind proving yourself each day, what people say would not affect you. But since avoiding the core pain is why you're trying to prove yourself, you end up bringing the potential for pain into everything that happens. You end up so sensitive that you are unable to live in this world without getting hurt. You cannot even interact with people or do other normal daily activities without events affecting your heart. If you watch carefully, you'll see that even simple interactions often cause some degree of pain, insecurity, or general disturbance. To get some distance from this, you first need to get some perspective. Walk outside on a clear night and just look up in the sky. You are sitting on a planet bending around the middle of absolutely nowhere. Though you can only see a few thousand stars, there are hundreds of billions of stars in our Milky Way galaxy alone. In fact, it is estimated that there are over a trillion stars in the spiral galaxy. And that galaxy would look like one star to us if we could even see it, standing on one little ball of dirt, bending around one of the stars. From that perspective, Do you really care what people think about your clothes or your car? Do you really need to feel embarrassed if you forgot someone's name? How can you let these meaningless things cause pain? If you want out, if you want a decent life, you had better not devote your life to avoiding psychological pain. You had better not spend your life worrying about whether people like you or whether your car impresses people. What kind of life is that? It's a life of pain. You may not think that you feel pain that often, but you really do. To spend your life avoiding pain means it uh, is always right behind you. At any point, you could slip and say the wrong thing. At any point, anything can happen. So you end up devoting your life to the avoidance of pain. I'm going to stop right there and see if Michael wants to say anything before I continue reading. Welcome, Michael.
4: Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Happy July Fourth! Happy Liberty Day! And actually, I'd, I'd like to take this topic in a whole different direction. And uh, this is actually the first place where I have uh, would have a vehement disagreement with the author on uh, the untethered soul and this idea that the cost of freedom is pain uh, it's actually the exact 180 degrees out of phase opposite and I have a chapter and why is this happening to me again on pain and I think what I'm going would like to do is to to read that to contrast where these two things are going how close to complete with that chapter are you sweetie um, I have uh, one
1: two three four mm-hmm. five more pages
4: and how many pages have you read?
1: Just in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Four. Just, just today,
4: four. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what that'll give us. That'll give us plenty of time to to do the contrast. I'd like to get the whole picture that he's presenting, but I'll just ask everybody just take a look as you're listening. That the the pain is about engaging in different forms of disintegrative energy hostility or fear it's a system warning us freedom is the cost of freedom is not pain actually it's it's just totally completely the other way around the cost of living a life that's off the mark living a life that was not designed for love to live a life of hostility or fear is the reason for pain yes facing that pain will take you to liberty and, and there's a big difference between liberty and, you know, many, many people want freedom. You know, we have a freedom march. We want freedom. There's a, But you'll notice that they didn't have a freedom bell. They had a liberty bell because there is no such thing as freedom. That's a myth. Everything has a result tied to it. You're never free from the results of your behavior. So there's always uh, an energetic result from every energy that we engage in. And we have Perfect liberty. No freedom. Perfect liberty. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. Unless, of course, you're restrained by a court order or a a jail cell or or whatever. But you have the liberty to engage in hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, trauma, and trauma. And you will experience pain. Not because of a lack of freedom, but because you've engaged in an energy that your system is warning you. is going to cause you pain. And the purpose of pain is to make your ears grow, to get you to hear what you're doing to yourself. So how about let's get the whole picture of this chapter, if you'd go ahead and complete, and then I'm going to delve into the uh, the purpose of pain chapter in uh, why is this happening to me again. I think there'll be a fun contrast and comparison. Unless anybody's okay. out there with a question for us, and if you do, um, push one and we'll have a conversation about it
1: so oh, I said rocket no hand up so okay okay so once you look inside yourself and start to own this you will see that you are back to the same two foundational choices one choice is to leave the pain inside and continue to struggle with the outside the other choice is to decide that you don't want to spend your entire life avoiding the inner pain you'd rather get rid of it few people ever dare to turn the process inside like this most people don't even realize that they are running around with pockets of pain inside that need to be worked out. Do you really want to carry that inside and have to manipulate the world to avoid feeling it? What would your life be like if it wasn't run by the pain? You would be free. You could walk around this world completely free, just having fun, just being comfortable with whatever happens. You can actually live a full life of interesting experiences And just enjoy these experiences, whatever they are. In essence, you can simply live your life and experience what it's like to be on a planet that is spinning around in the middle of nowhere until you die and cancel that thought. To live at this level of freedom, you must learn not to be afraid of inner pain and disturbance. As long as you're afraid of the pain, you will try to protect yourself from it. The fear will make you do that. If you want to be free, simply view inner pain as a temporary shift in your energy flow. There's no reason to fear this experience. You must not be afraid of rejection or of how you would feel if you got sick or if someone died or if something else went wrong. You cannot spend your life avoiding things that are not actually happening or everything will become negative. All you will end up seeing is how much can potentially go wrong. Do you have any idea how many things can cause inner pain and disturbance? Probably more than there are stars in the sky. If you want to grow and be free to explore life, you cannot spend your life avoiding the myriad things that might hurt your heart or mind. You must look inside yourself and determine that from now on, pain is not a problem. It is just a thing in the universe. Somebody can say something to you that can cause your heart to react and catch fire and then it will pass. It's a temporary experience. Most people can hardly imagine what it would be like to be at peace with inner disturbance. But if you do not learn to be comfortable with it, you will devote your life avoiding it. If you feel insecurity, it's just a feeling. You can handle a feeling. If you feel embarrassed, it's just a feeling. It's just a part of creation. If you feel jealousy and your heart burns, just look at it objectively like you would a mild bruise. It's a thing in the universe that is passing through your system. Laugh at it. Have fun with it. But don't be afraid of it. It cannot touch you unless you touch it. Let's explore this by first looking at a basic human tendency. When something painful touches your body, you tend to pull away instinctively. You even do this with unpleasant smells and tastes. The fact is, your psyche does the same thing. If something disturbing touches it, its tendency is to withdraw, to pull back, to protect itself. It does this with insecurity, jealousy, and any of the other vibrations that we've been discussing. In essence, you close which is simply an attempt to put a shield around your inner energy. You can feel the effects of this as the sensation of contracting within your heart. Somebody says something displeasing and you feel some disturbance in your heart. Then your mind starts talking. I don't have to put up with this. I'll just walk away and never talk to them again. They'll be sorry. Your heart is attempting to pull back from what it's experiencing and protect itself so that it doesn't have to experience that feeling again. You do this because you can't handle the pain that you're feeling. As long as you can't handle the pain, you will react by closing in, in order closing in order to protect yourself. Once you close, your mind will build an entire psychological structure around your closed energy. Your thoughts will try to rationalize why you're right, why the other person's wrong, and what you should do about it. If you buy into this, it will become a part of you. For years, the pain will remain inside and actually become one of the building blocks of your entire life. It will shape your future reactions, thoughts, and preferences. When you deal with a situation by resisting the pain it causes, you will have to adjust your behavior and thoughts in order to protect yourself. You will have to do this so that nothing aggravates what you have held inside about the incident. You will end Let's, up building an entire Huh?
4: Go ahead. I wanna I want to oh, okay. a thought
1: there. Oh, okay. Um you will have to do this so that nothing aggravates what you have held inside about the incident. You will end up building an entire protection structure around the closure. If you have the clarity to watch this happen and understand the long term consequences <coughs> Excuse me. You will want to be free of this trap. You will never be free, however, until you get to the point where you're willing to release the initial pain instead of avoiding it. You must learn to transcend the tendency to avoid the pain. You want me to stop there while you comment?
4: Yeah, yeah, I want to go back maybe two or three paragraphs. And there's a clear statement made about the things that cause us pain. And that's one of the biggest Frauds that the culture has taught just about everybody is that there's this painful situation. And many of you have heard me say this before, but most people brought up in this culture, especially this Western culture, by the time they're four years of age, they are card-carrying members of the one world universal religion of blame. They're very, very religious people, people who blame. That's their religion. And everything that goes off base, everything that brings up their pain, because nothing outside of us can cause... I mean, short of somebody coming and punching us in the nose, nothing outside of us can cause us pain, but the things outside of us can expose our pain to us. And so once you turn that false idea around, remembering that the human mind is an evidential device. And I like that place where he spoke about how the mind will build a whole psychological structure around those beliefs. And if we hold the false belief and we're members of that one world universal religion of blame, then the evidential mind will always give us evidence about how our blame is justified and how we're a victim of somebody else. And once we turn that thought around to the truth, oh, circumstances, situations, events resonate or show me what I'm holding on to and therefore give me an opportunity to heal. Now you get the opportunity to build a whole psychological structure around that accurate true thought, and everything that resonates your pain becomes the opportunity to heal rather than reinforcing the pretense that something outside of you can possibly cause something inside of you to happen. The only thing that an event can appear, and I use that word appearance very clearly. Yeshua 2,000 years ago said, don't judge by appearance. The only thing that can appear to cause you pain, and the only pain you can feel in that circumstance, is that which is already within you. Again, short of somebody punching you in the nose, cancel the thought. So if pain appears within you and you hold the belief that you're in pain because of what happened out there, you're now living in denial. And to live in denial, you have to dissociate from the root cause. You have to dissociate from the truth of what's going on inside of you and outside of you. And your mind makes up, literally constructs a whole world called perception that will prove to you your premise that somebody else is the cause of your pain. But then you'll notice if you've been through a particular painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people, you're the only one that was there every time. That pain is about you. It's not about anybody else. And the very fact that an energy that causes you pain is held inside of you and denied you literally set up an energetic request literally a high measure a high uh, a measurable high energy wave leaves the mind saying i need somebody to blame for this pain would somebody please do something that will help me to remember that they are the cause of my pain literally that measurable energy wave radiates all the time that we live in blame. And because the universe is a universe of resonance, and in the human realm, resonance creates motion toward somebody's going to show up and do whatever it is that will resonate that pain. If you stay in denial, if you hold to the belief that that out there is the cause of what's going on in here, then the real cause you have to dissociate from. In order to convince yourself, in order for the evidential mind to tell you it's lie, And and when you fill the mind with a lie and call the lie truth, you're now living in blockage of truth. The truth will not be available to you in that state until correction occurs. So once the mind starts to lie, remember that Harvard research that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, there's a maximum of nine bits of data that is available to you consciously. That's all you get to see. That's what your perception is constructed from. Now, no matter how you cut it, when you're looking at nine bits of data out of 10,000 brain cells firing, you're looking at BS, belief system. Maybe you have a different reality for those initials. If so, then you just proved my point. The mind is an evidential device, and it will always serve up the evidence that you demand it to. And if you want to live in BS all your life, keep blaming, keep saying it's all somebody else's fault. And you'll get to live there, and your mind will give you all the evidence that you need. But again, if you've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people, you might want to start to notice that you're the one that was there every time. When you start to change your BS, you could use either meaning for those initials now, then your mind will give you evidence of truth. Huh. I've been through this so many times, and been blaming everybody. Maybe I need to look at me. Okay, mind, I recognize that if I'm in pain, my thinking is in error, and I need correction. Now I get to move to a whole different set of evidential realities. And those evidential realities will move me toward healing. And it will all be because I was motivated by pain. Again, the purpose of pain is to make your ears grow, to get you to start looking at and listening to what you're doing to yourself. Because pain is sin. S-I-N, self-inflicted nonsense. We do it to ourselves. And in the Aramaic language, the archery term, sin, or the sin is an archery term, which literally means when you fired at the target and you missed a bullseye, the scorekeeper yelled, sin, you're off the mark. That's the cause of pain. And so when you understand that, then you start to look for the evidence of the energies in you that are off the mark and you begin to open uh, the whole unconscious dynamic not only of your life but of your generations. And it's a pretty significant step to take. But it's a powerful one and an awesomely rewarding one. So go for it, honey. Thank you.
1: Okay. Wise beings do not want to remain a slave to the fear of pain. They permit the world to be what it is instead of being afraid of it. They wholeheartedly participate in life, but not for the purpose of using life to avoid themselves. If life does something that causes, or in air words, triggers a disturbance inside of you, instead of pulling away, let it pass through you like the wind. After all, things happen every day that cause, we say trigger, inner disturbance. At any moment, you can feel frustration, anger, fear, jealousy, insecurity, or embarrassment. If you watch, you will see that the heart is trying to push it all away. If you want to be free, you have to learn to stop fighting these human feelings. When you feel pain, simply view it as energy. Just start seeing those inner experiences as energy passing through your heart and before the eye of your consciousness. Then relax. Do the opposite of contracting and closing. Instead, relax and release. Relax your heart until you're actually face-to-face with the exact place where it hurts. Stay open and receptive so that you can be present right where the tension is. You must be willing to be present right at the place of the tightness and pain and then relax and go even deeper. This is formation. But you will not want to do this. You will feel tremendous resistance to doing this. And that's what makes it so powerful. As you relax, feel the resistance. The heart will want to pull away, to close, to protect, to defend. Keep relaxing. Relax your shoulders. Relax your heart. Let go and give room for the pain to pass through you. Just energy. Just see it as energy and let it go. If you close around the pain and stop it from passing through, it will stay with you. It will stay in you. That is why a natural tendency to resist is so counterproductive. If you don't want the pain, why do you close around it and keep it? Do you actually think that if you resist, it will go away? It's not true. If you release and let the energy pass through, then it will go away. If you relax when the pain comes up inside your heart, actually dare to face it, it will pass. Every single time you relax and release, a piece of the pain leaves forever. And yet every time you resist and close, you are building up the pain inside. It's like a strain you are then forced to use the psyche to create a layer of distance between you who experiences the pain and the pain itself. That is what all the noise inside your mind and attempt to avoid the stored pain. If you want to be free, you must first accept that there is pain in your heart. You have stored it there. And you've done everything that you can think of to keep it there, deep inside so that you never have to feel it. There's also tremendous joy, beauty, love, and peace within you. But they are on the other side of the pain. On the other side of the pain is ecstasy. On the other side is freedom. Your true greatness hides on the other side of that layer of pain. You must be willing to accept pain in order to pass through to the other side. You just accept that it's in there and you're going to feel it. Accept that if you relax. It will have its moment before your awareness and then it will pass. It always does. Sometimes you will notice that it feels hot inside as pain passes. In fact, as you relax into the energy of pain, you may feel tremendous heat in your heart. That is the pain being purified from your heart. Learn to enjoy that burning. It's called the fire of yoga. It does not seem enjoyable, but you will learn to enjoy it because it's freeing you. In truth, pain is the price of freedom. At the moment you are willing to pay that price, you will no longer be afraid. The moment you are not afraid of the pain, you will be able to face all of life's situations without fear. Sometimes you will go through deep experiences that bring up intense pain inside of you. If it's in there, it's going to come up. If you have any wisdom, you will leave it alone and not try to change your life to avoid it. You will just relax and give it the space it needs to release and burn through you. You do not want this stuff inside your heart. You feel great love and freedom to find the presence of God within you. All of this stored pain must go. It is in this inner work that spirituality becomes a reality. Spiritual growth exists in that moment when you are consciously willing to pay the price of freedom. You must be willing at all times, in all circumstances, to remain conscious in the face of pain and to work with your heart by relaxing and remaining open. Remember, if you close around something, you will be psychologically sensitive about that subject for the rest of your life. Stored it inside of you, you will be afraid that it will happen again. But if you relax instead of closing, it will work its way through you. If you stay open, the blocked energy inside of you will release naturally and you will not take on anymore. This is the core of spiritual work. When you are comfortable with pain passing through you, you will be free. This world will never be able to bother you again because the worst the world can do is to hit the pain stored within you. If you don't care, if you are no longer afraid of yourself, you are free. You will then be able to walk through this world more vibrant and alive than ever before. You will feel everything at a deeper level. You will begin to have truly beautiful experiences rise up within you. Eventually you will understand that there is an ocean of love behind all of this fear and pain. That force will sustain you by feeding your heart from deep within, over time you will form an intensely personal relationship with this beautiful inner force. It will replace the relationship current, you currently have with inner pain and disturbance. Now peace and love will run your life. When you pass beyond the layer of pain, you will finally be free from the binds of the psyche. And that's the end of that chapter. Sweet. Cool. Cool.
4: So we'll just um, hang out with those thoughts for a minute and breathe. And you know, 2,000 years ago, we hear this comment made in the ancient scriptures. It says, the power of life and death is in your words. And clarifying and getting your words and your mind to Lock into truth <clears throat> becomes key. Half-truths are not truths. And so I, I hear lots of acknowledgement there of, you know, the pain's stored, it's within, but then the event causes it. And because the mind is evidential, the words you use tell your mind what evidence it's allowed to show you. And so if I keep reaffirming that, you know, that out there happened and it caused my pain, then I'm telling my mind, mind, show me the evidence that the cause of my pain is outside of me. And if I add to that and then there's this pain stored in me, now I have conflicting language and my mind is going to tend to be in confusion. We want to get really clear. Pain is a result of engaging in an energy that never belonged within your structure. And so the thought occurred to me as you started to read, and especially, Jeannie, when I heard the, uh, the title of the chapter uh, in uh, The t- Untethered Soul, that uh, it might be interesting to just juxtapose this uh, chapter from Why Is This Happening to Me Again It's Chapter 5 entitled The Purpose of Pain. Unless a person has tools to support healing in their lives, painful realities remain hidden in their minds and bodies. I wanted to explore with Richard how these stored realities express. I marveled that people who have no idea that there are tools with which they can unload their burdens survive as long as they do. I hear loud and clear that you would rather not deal with your pain. But allow me to add another piece to the puzzle. I offered to Richard. What you hide from yourself is your disease. Richard demands, well, how did you get from stored painful realities to disease? All physicists tell us everything is energy. Think of the body as being an energy field instead of physical matter. There are two main categories of energy relative to that field. There is disintegrative energy, which tears the human energy system down. And there is integrative energy, which builds the system up. What does that have to do with disease, Richard says? Pain is a signal of disease, not disease as a word like an entity he caught the ABC disease, but dis-ease, D-I-S-E-A-S-E. It tells the system that somewhere within, there's something physically, mentally, or emotionally out of place. It is not an enemy, but a friend in disguise. When we don't want to listen to the feedback the system gives us, it gets our attention by yelling, pain. The purpose of pain is to make your ears grow. If we refuse to listen by suppressing the warning, it will grow in intensity. Pain will not be ignored. Sooner or later, it gets our full attention and we follow its guidance to correction, or we die. This applies to physical, mental, emotional, and relationship pain. Getting rid of pain without dealing with this message is like cutting the wires to the bell on a fire alarm. The fire alarm screams out to get your attention, to tell you there's a problem. It demands, listen to me. If you refuse to listen by shutting down the feedback... Things do quiet down, but the fire still rages somewhere. Sooner or later, the fire will break through and make you aware that it's burning. The longer it takes to recognize where the fire is, the more difficult it will probably be to extinguish. Killing the bell certainly has nothing to do with putting the fire out. Pain is just a bell warning us that we need to look at something? Richard asked in amazement. I I always thought you were just supposed to take a pill to make pain go away, and and that's how you got well. That's what I was taught. Well, that thinking will sure sell a lot of pills, Richard, but shutting down the alarm without dealing with the fire that's burning will lead to total destruction. Obviously, pain held anywhere in tissue does not contribute to the health of that tissue or any part of the system. The only reason for pain 100% of the time is a disintegrative energy that invites us to look deeper into ourselves and deal with whatever we have hidden there. The memory comes of uh, Michael and Christa, my children, when they were small. I'm talking right from the time they could talk. We taught them that life was energy, and their bodies were energy. And if you banged into the wall and your arm hurt, the reason your arm hurt is because an energy that of that collision was put into tissue and it was an energy that was not designed to support the tissue and so you got a warning pain and so what we would do right from the very smallest uh, ages with the kids, is if they hurt themselves, they fell and hurt themselves, we teach them to take a breath, because you'll notice a kid, when they hurt themselves, shuts their breathing down, take a breath, and literally brush the energy off. So if you fell and hurt your leg, then there was a, a thought to go with that, that we taught them, and it was normal, healthy and so you would brush, we would teach them to brush the energy from the leg, and at the same time is telling themselves normal, healthy. And breathing, which allows the tissue to soften, open, and let go of the excess energy that the pain is warning them is there. And I remember one time, Michael was probably about five, well, actually two, two different things that happened that were very profound for me because I've never been able to do it. But one time, Michael cut himself, and he was you know, maybe four or five, but he'd been taught this right from the beginning. He cut himself, and I watched him. I mean, I saw the cut on his hand, and I watched him brush over it and say normal healthy, and I watched that cut heal right there before my eyes in a matter of seconds. Gone. Disappeared. There was another time when we were at the beach, and there were, uh, oh, what do they call them, stickers, little, you know, small seed-like pods with barbed edges on them. And we were going down to the beach, and he ran out of the beach and ran into a just a whole mess of these stickers. And so his feet were just filled with them. And we picked them up and took them back to the room. Both his mom and I were there. And he instructed us to leave the room. Well, Michael, we'll help you get these. Please leave me alone. Okay. So we walked out of the room. We didn't have any idea how we were going to get these stickers out of his feet. I mean, he was just, his feet were just filled with them. And we came back in the room about five minutes later, knocked on the door. It's okay to come in. Yep. The stickers were gone. And they were gone. They weren't laying there where he'd taken them out. They were gone. Now, I'm not sure exactly what he did, how he did it, but his feet had been filled with these stickers, these barbed hooks to take hold and, you know, are pretty painful. I know that several times over the years, CJ would bring that up and was just like, I'll never understand how that happened or what happened there. But when we start to deal with life as energy and we have that understanding, we will be shown different evidence than the evidence that we have that our perceptual constructs show us now. And we'll be limited by our perceptual constructs if our understanding is limited. When you start to tell your mind the truth, even though you may not quite believe it yet or even though you may not be able to manifest it fully, you start to see different evidence. And in that different evidence, there's a whole different possibility. So medical research is proving that every cell in the body stores information. Our disease and our pain come from the energy introduced into tissue by the negative realities we store there, the drugs we use to keep those realities suppressed. The secondary cause of pain is the lifestyle we choose to keep ourselves in a weakened condition. Now, what, Richard Blair? You've got to be kidding. Who would purposely weaken themselves? Think about it, Richard. You can't suppress anything an energy system that's at full vitality. In order to suppress, something has to shut down the flow of energy in the system so that whatever is hidden remains that way. Show me someone who takes a drug for, let's say, depression. If you remove the drug, what happens? They begin to remember what has been suppressed by the drug and go back into depression, right? Well, that means the drug worked, doesn't it? Without it, they felt depressed. With it, they feel better. Richard rubbed his chin and appeared to be struggling to understand. Well, it depends what you mean by work, Richard. Sweeping, sweeping something under the rug is your definition of work. Drugs are doing their job. The action of most drugs, legal and illegal, including caffeine, nicotine, sugar, alcohol, and junk food, is to lower vitality of the system sufficiently, So the pain we desire to suppress remains out of conscious awareness. Notice I said, out of conscious awareness, quote-unquote, not gone or cured. It only means we're no longer aware of it. If we use drugs to suppress pain and the cause of pain is still intact, sooner or later it will surface somewhere in the system often under the guise of a quote-unquote side effect. What you can't see and feel, you can't heal. However, pain is not required. It's only a motivator. If we consciously choose to motivate ourselves, instead of the old saying, no pain, no gain, our lives will be no pain, no pain. Key thought, life is designed to give us as many opportunities as we need to heal. If we don't take the initiative and do our inner work, life often moves, motivates us through pain. D- does that mean we should never take drugs? Richard asked. There are benefits to the use of drugs. In that you have a better short ter- you have better short term function when you keep the pain suppressed, but true healing is impossible in that state. Drugs in the hand hands of a true healer can be used to temporarily control threatening symptoms, and they can save a life. However, they don't heal, though they can buy time to do the necessary inner work in healing. I went on to reinforce that healing does not come from a drug any more than the fire is put out by cutting the wires to the bell. He seemed to relate to the ideas that sh- drugs shut down the highly tuned mechanism of feelings to rob us of our feedback. The cannot show us what we are unwilling to see and therefore distorts every situation in which there is denial. Drugs simply reinforce the blockages denial creates. They are like a physical form of denial. If one does not have and use tools with which to heal, drugs tend to become a way of life, a one-way ticket to degeneration. I shared with Richard a poem that sums up perfectly for me the whole topic of disease and our part in it. And the poem is entitled Each Moment. Each moment of love, each moment of giving, each moment of joy is a moment of living. Each moment of anger, each moment of lying, each moment of fear is a moment of dying. All our moments add together, like the digits in a sum, and the answer tells us plainly whether our life or our death shall come. And so that's the chapter on the purpose of pain. By the way, at the second Thursday of this month, at 3.30 in the afternoon, which is 8.30 in London, England, the Hear My Voice book club We'll be meeting and we'll be doing the next lesson out of Why Is This Happening to Me Again, which is Chapter 6, What is Reality? And so if you want to join us, you know, set your alarm for, and I don't have the date in front of me, the second Thursday of the month at 3.30 Eastern Time, 8.30 London, England Time, and, uh, you know, grab a copy of the link to the uh, Hear My Voice Book Club, you can go to our website, whyagain.org, and look at events. Click events, and you'll see the link to the Hear My Voice Book Club. The second and fourth Thursday of every month, we do a book study. We do one chapter of the book each month. If you go to our uh, YouTube channel, We've got all of the study that we've done so far. We've actually been working with the book for well over a year now. You can go back and go through those uh, those chapters if you'd like. We have uh, two, I don't, I'm not even sure how many, three or four different sessions that we've done where we've done live worksheets with people. Those are also on our YouTube channel. And so you're welcome to join us the second and fourth Thursday of the month. And on the third and fifth, Thursdays of the month, we're doing a study of A Course in Miracles. Same link, same time, 3.30 in the afternoon. So the, uh, the third week, we're not doing anything, but the first, or pardon me, the second and fourth is a study of why is this happening to me again. The first and the fifth week are A Course in Miracles. You're welcome to join us. And again, all of those things are archived on our youtube channel so if you're working with the book why is this happening to me again and and by the way you unfortunately we can't sell you a book much as i would like to however you can go to our website again it's whyagain.org. and in the upper left hand corner or pardon me upper left hand corner is a starting point for working with forgiveness but if you just look down the page you'll see a picture of the cover of the book. Why is this happening to me again? If you click on that, it'll take you to a link where you can download the book in any one of, I'm not even sure how many now, eight or nine different languages. So it's there free. And or you can usually find fairly inexpensively, uh, although some people, you know, because the book's out of print, put it up at stupid prices, like we've seen it for $3,000, crazy. But usually on either eBay or Amazon. We sold enough books back 30 years ago when we brought the book out that uh, they're still hanging around. And usually for three or four or five bucks, you can buy a copy if you want the physical book. But you can have it for free if you want to just jump on whyagain.org. So anyway, we can support you. That's what we're here to do. So if you're out there in listener land and that conversation resonates anything for you or there's an experience you'd like to share, Push one, let's talk about it. Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room?
1: We do have a hand up. We awesome. have two Looks hands like up, one. actually. <laughs> yeah, Cool. so the first one is area code 828. You are on the air. Who do we have?
4: Hello? Eight, eight. Oh, nope. sounds like Terry
5: Bowling. Hey, I just had this thing with my phone where I have both numbers on one phone. It's kind of cool, but I don't know which one I'm calling from all the time. So I oh, okay. It all okay. But but now I've got both of those numbers merged so I can catch all that. So that's why I heard it's like, oh, 828. I must be calling from that number. That's Technology you. There you wow. go. <laughs> got, to, yeah. got to embrace it. So, Michael. Yes. Thank you. Yes, sir. Jeannie. Thank you. Love you guys beyond, beyond even any way I can express it. So, what I am going to say is that now, for going over twenty years now, why again has been an integral core part of my life. You know, and uh, I'm working on my little book. Why, why again? Which really goes into the depth and detail of why, why again is the work one that okay. works for me. And I've been through, yeah, and I've been through the book. Thirteen times on my fourteenth really? time, I yeah I'm going to check in uh, to the book study. I'm marking it. I'm trying to figure out my calendar and all. Now you know it's been a little bit of a a, a, a journey, and I heard the thing on this pain and all. Wow, you know I've died several times, literally. Uh, that last one was just this huge thing, you know, where my body exploded and getting all that. But what came out of that was is that, without a doubt, once again, proven that there is a power that exists in this universe I choose to call God. And that power is in charge of the everything, you know, the big picture, everything. And so, like, the doctor looked at me and said, Mr. Bowling, I'm not sure why you're alive. Honestly, I don't know. I said, Doc, I know. And he leaned in there, and I said, "It wasn't my time yet." <laughs> you, know, that's just you got work to do. And he's just like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Oh, okay. We're gonna go with that one because he has no other explanation." So I, I, let's right. see who else is on there. I just want to say hello and put a put a little hoorah in there. And uh, and I'd like to talk to you a little later on. I put a call into you earlier when you got a few minutes, okay?
4: Okay, well, the show's over in about six minutes. Let's talk then. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sounds good, Terry. All right, blessings. Lots for love. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Our next hand is 610 and it's Miss Susan. Hi, welcome. Hi. Okay. Welcome, young well, lady. You know, I
0: don't know. Hi. Uh, very provocative readings. Um, I don't know where to begin. Um, I'm still, I've had a lot of blood work done, and it only shows a little maybe thyroid under par, but that wouldn't explain the really debilitating fatigue that hangs on. I teach my class, and then I crash, then I do my groceries, and then I crash, and I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm trying not to be panicked about this, but It's just hard. I feel as if my battery went dead. And I'm calling on backup battery that's very small. So um, what's happening right now, and I got this list of different from the emotion code doctor. Dr. Tim mentioned him ages ago. And, you know, Row, row 1 talks about feelings of abandonment, betrayal, forlorn, lost, love unreceived. Says go down this thing and circle all the emotions that might be part. Well, I have a ton of emotions, and they're in different columns. He says uh, one column will tell you this, and that'll be your column, but I've got stuff in column A and column B and... Uh, if this if this fatigue is being caused by unfinished business, there's much too much of it in too many areas to know how to begin. And I'm not even sure that's it. You know, so I just thought I'd throw all that at you all at once. Terry Bowling is very impressive, I have to say. He already died a couple of times. Well, I haven't done that yet, so I have to hand it to him. <laughs> oh, well, you that? know...
4: You might remember we talked about Terry. This goes back about three years ago. Mm -hmm. Terry's a big guy. He's about, I don't know, know, 6'5", 300 pounds. He's a contractor, and he was on the second floor of a building and was carrying something backward, and the railing had been removed, and he went from the second floor flat on his back on a concrete floor a full story
1: oh
4: my God. and that's mm. what the doctor was talking about you shouldn't be alive and oh, um, he just stuck to it and kept doing his work he's back to work he's back to contracting he's building wow. things and I'm
5: you
4: know David. wow so remember mm-hmm. now we, we just got a minute or two left and maybe we need to pick this conversation up with uh, tomorrow is once again Remember the questions you ask yourself to determine whether or not your symptoms are healing or disease.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Right. And, you know, the the phone or the radio show just announced
0: that
4: about 10 seconds ago that we're down to 60 seconds. So
0: yeah, there really isn't time to out. get into the that. Doing your, your work, doing your proper diet, and all that stuff, yeah. So well, let's open I the conversation tomorrow. Okay.
4: With that topic, it'll be good for everybody. And maybe there'll be some wrinkles in it to to open a new perspective.
0: Okay, thanks. Yeah.
4: All right. In the meantime, we're extending love in your direction. We appreciate you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for the help.
4: All right. All right. Blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Everybody, thank you for joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world.
5: Blessings. Bye-bye.